Book One, Chapter Seventeen of the History of Pompey the Little. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Kilmer. The History of Pompey the Little, or The Life and Adventures of a Lapdog, by Francis Coventry. Book One, Chapter Seventeen, Adventures at the Bath. Next morning, the blind beggar, conducted by our hero, went out as usual, and presented himself before the Beaumonde on the parade. Some few people, afflicted with very ill health, were generous enough to throw him down a few sixpences. Others, only commended the beauty of his pretty dog and far the greater number walked on without casting their eyes upon him. As he was here howling forth the miseries of his condition in a most lamentable tone of voice, who should happen to pass by but his own accomplished son, in company with two ladies of figure, to whom he was talking with the greatest familiarity and ease. The gaiety of his laugh, the vivacity of his conversation, made him universally observed, and all the women on the parade seemed to envy the happiness of the two ladies with whom he was engaged. As the party came very near the place where the old hypocrite was stationed, he could not escape their notice, and the youngest of the ladies, being struck with compassion at the sight of him, "'Bless me,' says she, "'I am sure that poor old man is an object of charity.' "'Do stay a moment, Lady Marmazat. "'I am resolved to give him something.' "'Shaw, my dear, come along, child,' cries her ladyship. "'How can you be so ridiculous, Miss Newcomb? "'Who gives any money to charity nowadays?' "'True, madam. "'Your ladyship is perfectly in the right,' replied the beau, "'who now discovered his own father. "'Nothing can be more idle, I think, "'than throwing one's money away upon a set of thievish tatterdemillion wretches, who are the burthen of the nation, and ought to be exterminated from the face of the earth. Well, well, you may say what you please, both of you, says Miss Newcomb, but I am resolved to be generous this morning, and therefore it does not signify laughing at me. Here, Master Gaffer, here's sixpence for you. All this while Mr. Grishkin was in extreme pain, for though he had no reason to fear any discovery, Yet the consciousness that this deplorable object was his own father hurt the gentleman's pride in the presence of his mistress, and greatly checked his vivacity. He endeavored, therefore, all he could to hurry the young lady away from so unpleasant a scene, in which he was seconded by Lady Marmoset, who kept crying out, "'How can you be so monstrously preposterous, Miss Newcomb? Come along, girl.' As I hope to be saved, I am ashamed of you. We shall have all the eyes of the company upon us in a few minutes. I don't care a farthing for the company, replied the young lady. I am resolved to ask the old man some questions, and therefore hold your tongue. What, are you quite blind, Gaffer? By this time Squire Griskin was recovered from his first surprise, and perceiving no bad consequences likely to happen, thought he might venture to shine a little upon the occasion. 
Sirrah, cries he, you miserable old dog. What do you mean by shocking people of quality here with a sight of your detestable physiognomy? Whence do you come? What do you do out of your own parish? I'll have you whipped from constable to constable back to your own settlement. No, please, your noble honor, cries the beggar. I hope your noble honor won't be so cruel to a poor blind man. A poor blind man struck blind with lightning. Heaven preserve your honor from such calamities. I have very good friends down in Cumberland. Please, your royal worship, and I am traveling homeward as fast as I can. But it pleased heaven to strike me blind with a flash of lightning a long way from my relations, and I am reduced to beg for a little sustenance. Mercy upon me, cries Miss Newcomb. Why, what a vast way the miserable wretch has to travel, Mr. Griskin. How will he ever be able to get home? Oh, curse him. All a confounded lie from the beginning to the end. Depend upon it, madam. The dog has no relations or friends in the world. I'll answer for him, cries the beau. Then, turning to his father, Here, you old rascal, added he. Here's a shilling for you. And do you hear me? Take yourself off this moment. If I ever see you upon the parade again, I'll have you laid by the heels and sent to the house of correction. The blind wretch then hobbled away, pouring forth a thousand benedictions upon them, while Lady Marmazat and the sharper rallied Miss Newcomb for her unfashionable generosity. Leaving the reader to make his own remarks on this extraordinary occurrence, I shall pass over the intermediate space of time in which nothing happened material to this history, and rejoin the three illustrious guests at their alehouse in the evening. The lady was the first that came, to whom her father related the adventure of the morning, which greatly delighted her. While she was laughing at this story, that sprightly knight, her brother, also came singing into the room, and throwing himself negligently into a chair, picked his teeth for a moment or two in silence. Then, addressing himself to his father, "'Old fellow,' cries he, "'I was obliged to use you a little roughly this morning, "'but you'll excuse me. "'There was a necessity, you know, "'of treating you like a scoundrel and an impostor, "'to prevent any suspicion of our relationship.' "'Well, well, Jack,' replied the father, I forgive you. I forgive you with all my heart, for I suppose one of the ladies was your sweetheart. And, to be sure, twas well not to let her know you was my son, for fear of the worst that might happen. Those you tell me women are so fond of marrying highwaymen nowadays. Ah, to Jack, I wished for my eyes again, just to have one little peep at her. What, is she a deadly fine girl?' A divine creature, replied the beau, young, melting, amorous, and beautiful, innocent as an angel, and yet wanton as the month of May. And then she dotes on me to distraction. Did you mind how tenderly the little fool interested herself about your blind eyes and pitied you for the confounded lies you told her? Why, yes, there was something very pretty, I must confess, said the father, very pretty indeed in her manner of talking. "'How the deuce do you get acquainted with these great ladies?' "'Oh, let me alone for that,' returned Mr. Griskin. "'I am made for women, sir. "'I have the toujours gay, 
which is so dear to them. I am blessed with that agreeable impudence, that easy, familiar way of talking nonsense, the happy insensibility of shame, which they all adore in men. And then consider my figure, my shape, my air, my legs. Altogether, I find I am irresistible. How in the name of wonder, old fellow, could you and your troll strike out such a lucky hit under a country hedge? Here the fair lady was in rapture at her brother's wit, and asked her father if he did not think him a most delightful, charming young fellow, to which the beggar replied with a groan, Oh, Jack, Jack, thou wilt certainly come to be hanged in the end. I see it as plain as can be. So much wit and impudence will certainly bring thee to the gallows at last. Much more of this sort of ribaldry and licentious conversation passed between them, and, as the father was more wakeful this night than he had been the preceding one, they protracted their cups till very late. They roared, they sung, they danced, and practiced all sorts of unruly, drunken mirth. At last, however, they separated once more to their several beds, and fate had destined that they should never meet again in joy and friendship at this or any other alehouse, the cause whereof will be seen in the following chapter. End of Book One, Chapter Seventeen Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas